0: Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Positive Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jack Sneflin. And thank you for joining us as we begin our voyage on this bracket on a boat. Let loose the yard arm, hoist the mainsail. We go where the wind takes us. <laughs> so initially we decided we kind of wanted to just do... Movies that take place on boats. There's a interesting story conceit where you have to confine all of your scenes to this one location, which is interesting. You have a very closed loop of characters and resources available to those characters. And boats kind of felt, you know, summery, which we are you know, getting into in the Northern Hemisphere. And we thought, yeah, that seems like fun. These will be relaxing movies that are going to be pleasant and, you know, like sailing. Breeze in your hair. And that's why all of the artwork and promotional stuff for the podcast feels like uh, Yacht Rock. Mm
1: -hmm. However, once we actually made the bracket, we've realized that a lot of these movies are about disasters happening at sea, or combat happening at sea, or combat and disasters happening at sea, or disaster combats happening at sea. What we're saying is it's a very 2020 bracket. It sure is. Which is why our first two movies are Titanic, which is about uh, crashing a boat into an iceberg, and Adrift, which is about crashing a boat into a hurricane. I don't think it's quite crashing a boat into a hurricane. (laughs) A hurricane crashing a boat into more of the hurricane.
0: (laughs) Fair. The hurricane crashing a boat into itself. So we're back to the first round of a bracket, which means summaries. Uh, So Jackson, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Titanic from 1997.
1: Sure. Um, Quick thing with this, there are of warnings for suicide and some light implication of sexual assault, but nothing graphic.
0: There's also relationship violence.
1: Yeah. I feel like people have probably seen Titanic at this point, but if you haven't and go into it, it's not quite the, like, fun romp of a romance that you might believe it is, just from the kind of vibe people have for it.
0: Or what you remember from your childhood.
1: <laughs> anyway. In the present, that is the 90s, a group of treasure hunters is searching for the heart of the sea, a diamond necklace lost when the Titanic sank. Clues lead them to Rose, a 101-year-old woman uh, with a story to tell. In the past of 1914, Rose is unhappily engaged to the loathsome Cal, heir to the fortune of a steel tycoon, and desperate to escape. Happy-go-lucky vagabond artist, Jack, saves her from an attempted suicide. Over the next few days, uh, while the two walk around the deck of the Titanic, they bond and fall in love as Rose breaks out of her high society programming. It all goes wrong when Cal, jealous, Frame Jack is having an attempt to seal the heart of the sea, his wedding gift to Rose. He's locked in the brig when the Titanic hits an iceberg and goes down. But due to the rich ship owners choosing style over adequate lifeboats, they have to survive on only driftwood. Jack freezes to death, but Rose chooses not to give up and is rescued. She lets Cal believe she's died and starts her life anew. Back in the present, the treasure hunters realize that the real treasure was of the cloud consciousness we made along the way, and Rose uh, throws the diamond into the water. So yeah, Titanic is a long movie. Yeah, it's over three hours. I think, it, I think it clocks in around four with credits. At least that's what it is on the, based on the two-hour VHSs that we had as kids. <laughs> Sadly, this was not a VHS experience. I wouldn't really have the full Titanic experience here.
0: And I honestly think that the film was too long. I mean, I think that the story is good.
1: What is here is interesting. It's not bad per se, but I think that definitely you could cut
0: quite a bit of it and have a coherent narrative. I don't think the film is bad the way it is. I do think that if you had cut some out, it would be a stronger film. Mm-hmm. I don't think
1: we need the present day stuff. It decreases a lot of the drama.
0: Mm-hmm. Because we know that Rose survives and also that presumably Jack isn't around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of the present day stuff, especially like it takes a while for us to get back to the past. The frame story takes up a pretty big chunk of time. I think it's about 20 minutes until we're back to 1914.
1: Yeah, 22 minutes. James Cameron... The director is really into the recovery of the Titanic. It's a thing with him, so I think that's part just him like using his exorbitant fortune to show us pretty pictures of exploring the Titanic. Yeah,
0: like there's also a lot of like really interesting technical filmmaking going on with that sort of stuff, and that's Cameron's bread and butter.
1: We do have some really cool shots where the robot sub is going through the wreckage, and it transitions to the way Rose remembers it being back in 1914.
0: I am betting that this was a lot more interesting back at the time because this was very recent history. This, like, They had just begun bringing up the Titanic and uh, salvaging it a few years prior to the film's release.
1: Mm-hmm. And it does create a more complex world than just a sort of somewhat straightforward romance epic thing. Mm-hmm. It is very different and it makes you confront different questions about what the story is telling. Uh, but I think there is a trimmed down version of this that is just as strong, mm-hmm. if not more. But I, I don't want to start by bashing it. I think it's a... I really like this movie a lot. I'm i am here for a lot of what it's doing. Even when it has some stumbles, I'm like, eh, it's still pretty fine. Like, some of the CGI
0: hasn't aged well, but eh, whatever. Some of it has, though. Yeah. its It's kind of a little bit hit or miss, but I've definitely seen worse from films around this time mm. and even worse from films long after this oh for sure and a lot of the
1: practical stuff looks really cool i'm always just a fan of any environment that
0: is not the way it's supposed to be so if it's like tilted or upside down or full of water yeah if you enjoy dutch angles you will love this film mm-hmm. Um, I like, I don't think they're used when they're not necessary, but there are definitely a lot of them, especially as the ship has begun capsizing.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, the ship capsizing is really... like It's a fun, it's dramatic, it's exciting. I think, again, on the long
0: side, you could cut some of that and streamline the process a bit, mm-hmm. but... Eh. Yeah. I think really to talk about Titanic, we need to talk about it as really uh, two interconnected narratives. Mm-hmm. It's functionally act one and two of a romance story and then act two and three of a disaster story that have been together yeah with the hitting the iceberg as the pretty much the exact middle point of the film mm-hmm. i'm
1: pretty sure that's like the like that's when you stop the dvds over which i think is really fun i like hard pivot genre stuff i think you don't really see it very often you see genre mashups but not like suddenly we're in a totally different movie now mm-hmm. like i mean Presumably, if you watched the first 20 minutes and also lived in the world, you knew what was going to happen to the Titanic. But if you didn't, somehow, this would be like a really shocking swerve because the romance is genuinely compelling. The characters are interesting. There's enough conflict there for me to
0: care without the ship going down. Yeah, it's a very competent mid to late 90s rom-com. I think early on, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet don't quite click. Like, their their on-screen chemistry just isn't there early on. I think after Rose starts kind of bringing down her defenses, things are a little bit better. Mm-hmm.
1: And it doesn't quite feel like it was an intentional thing. Like, I, I think the movie wants us to believe they have an instant connection where I don't quite believe that. Mm-hmm. But, eh, overall it's fine. The story and the writing of the romance is fine. It's, the acting isn't quite there all the time.
0: Yeah. I don't even necessarily want to blame Leonardo DiCaprio for it all the time, because I think when we're first introduced to Jack, I think he is kneeling that character. We're introduced to him during a game of poker where he wins the tickets onto the Titanic, and it's a really fun scene.
1: Jack, you are pot, so you bet everything we have.
0: When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose.
1: All right, moment of truth. Somebody's life's about to change.
0: Like, they win, they're celebrating, and then the, like, bartender in the back's like, I go
1: to America!
0: (laughs) No, mate. Titanic go to America in five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, which is really great. There's also, there is a pocket watch in the pool for the poker scene. (laughs) And so there's this, like, ticking going on as they're, like, betting each other. And it's... Really great as this diegetic way to build tension for how is this hand going to play out? Who's going to win this huge pot with two tickets onto the Titanic? Mm -hmm. Which
1: admittedly winning tickets onto the Titanic is something of an oxymoron, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it also introduces the idea of a ticking clock and the Titanic being in the same space, which you know, clever.
0: Yeah, clocks and time feature prominently throughout the film, and honestly, I wish that it had just kind of been kept with the time and clock motif as opposed to it really feels like the second half of the film with the sinking Cameron wanted what was going on in the film to line up chronologically with what actually happened on the Titanic. And so it just, everything feels stretched out a little bit too long. I don't think we need as much ratcheting up of the tension as the ship is sinking as we get.
1: Yeah. There's a, I think a part where they're about to escape and they see a kid who's lost like, we have to go back for him. And we're like, we don't, we don't need this extra thing.
0: Yeah, we were already excited enough about this. Yeah, like that, that's where like we started to lose our suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think a part of that was we really wanted to like hammer home the disparity between the upper class who don't care about other people versus the lower class who broadly do, mm-hmm. or at least that like the differentiation of the class constant. What I'm saying is this is like this is Snowpiercer on ice, as it were.
0: Yeah, to a certain extent. Although, like, it's not as black and white as upper-class bad, lower-class good. Mm-hmm. We get some upper-class people who realize, yeah, there's not going to be enough lifeboats, and we get these old rich guys, like... Mr. Guggenheim. These are for you, Mr. Guggenheim. Oh no,
1: thank you. We are dressed in our best and are prepared to go down as gentlemen. But we would like a brandy. Yeah, I like that. There's a line early on in the film that I can't remember exactly where someone criticizes the people who made the Titanic for not having enough lifeboats. And I appreciate that the movie digs into the
0: complexity of that, and how it wasn't just a flat black and white decision, how there's a lot of moving parts there. Yeah, like it, it incorporates you know, things like, well, the ship is supposed to be unsinkable. Why are we going to spend money on lifeboats that we're never going to need? And the
1: architect was saying, hey, we should probably have more. And he's frustrated that they didn't, but he didn't push all that hard for it because he assumed it would be fine mm-hmm. he didn't anticipate them running into an iceberg mm-hmm. I will say the lookouts don't notice the iceberg quite as early as they might have because Jack and Rose were dancing so I kind of like the idea that Jack and Rose did the Titanic <laughs> they, they <laughs> Titanic the re- was an inside job <laughs> Titanic
0: was an inside job yes yeah.
1: uh. <laughs> that was a little silly to me but it's fine mm-hmm. I mean there's sort of an inevitability happening there but it's, it's sort of like what if Forrest Gump but the Titanic kind of thing <laughs> <gasps> uh, and that's how uh, Leonardo DiCaprio killed approximately one-third of the cast of The Mummy. <laughs> it's shocking how many people from The Mummy are in this, mm-hmm. and how easily you could like meld the two plots into one thing. Mm-hmm. We haven't even gotten into
0: a fantasy called Molly Brown, who's great. Molly Brown is uh, nouveau riche. A lot of the other upper-class people are loathe to interact with her because they find her uncouth and whatnot
1: look here comes that vulgar brown woman quickly get up before she sits with
0: us she's played by Kathy Bates mm-hmm. who is as ever fantastic in this Kathy Bates is having so much
1: fun here mm-hmm. Kathy Bates does a really good job of bringing this like comedic timing and wit that I think really livens the mood in some of the more like mm-hmm. dour scenes
0: of Rose being oppressed by high society mm-hmm.
1: She's a pistol cow. Hope you can handle her.
0: Yeah, she gives both Jack and Rose someone to talk to who gets it, who also sees the problem with high society, who, you know, understands where Jack is with his lot in life because not very long ago she was in a similar predicament. And she also doesn't really have a stake in anything that's happening.
1: Like it's she gets involved because she wants to, not because her fortune or whatever isn't in any way implicated in this. Mm. Which I think is, is good. You kind of need a like outside opinion on these things. Mm-hmm. Also, Rose is great. I love Rose a
0: lot. She's a really good character. She's also a really strong protagonist. I uh, honestly think there, we could have an entire conversation about whether Jack or Rose is the main protagonist of Titanic. I think there are parts where they kind of pass that torch back and forth.
1: Mm-hmm. Which works pretty well. I think
0: that, that's how
1: a relationship ought to be. hmm an argument that I've heard about the film is that Rose is the most complex and layered character, whereas she's surrounded by people who are broadly one-dimensional. Um, not, not that they lack characterization, they just don't necessarily have a lot of depth, because this is Rose telling the story, and these are kind of her understandings of these characters as opposed to the way they, they actually were. Yeah. I think it's a really like cool way to look at things. It makes the somewhat cartoonish evil of Billy Zane and, and the bodiness of Molly Brown make more sense within the universe of the film.
0: It gives us a way to think of the camp as Rose embellishing for effect later on. Mm-hmm. Like the chase with the gun towards the end of the film. That all just seems completely ridiculous and wild, and <laughs> Jax and I are both like, so this is the part that Rose just completely made up to <laughs> to like spice up the story. One second.
1: A part of me wanted Cal just like accidentally shoot Rose in the head and her, we flashback surprise, like, no no, that's not how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> The movie's not quite that silly, but it would have been fun. Kind of like that one bit where Rose starts talking about just, like, getting down with Jack, and we cut to the present, and all the guys are like, mmm, and Rose's granddaughter's like,
0: "Mm." (laughs) mmm. There were definitely a lot of jokes watching this about it just, it makes sense for Rose to be an exhibitionist. (laughs) Like, she gets this wry grin when she sees the new drawing of her like broadcast on like national television and she gets a lot of enjoyment about talking about her her tryst with this artist on the titanic to (laughs) this room full of men (laughs) where's the dive? that's all they were looking for it's like no no you you have to indulge my kink before i'm going to tell you (laughs) and then she doesn't anyway
1: (laughs) rose is a huge troll and i love her
0: yeah I kind of wish that there was a little bit more in the film to lead the audience to thinking of her as a somewhat unreliable narrator.
1: I think like you could fit that in there. Some of the things that seem a little bit ridiculous might lend itself to that. But I also understand how there might not be quite enough time to really get into all of that. Yeah, we talked a little bit about how if this gets a remake, that'd be a really good angle to like really dig into Rose like saying things that don't line up, or in the present there's someone who's, like, doing the math, and and he's like, wait, no, that person couldn't have been there, and there at the same time, whatever.
0: Yeah, or, like, and you also get into the, like, well, this is a first-hand account of history, whereas everyone else is not necessarily getting their information directly there, kind of just trying to figure things out. And
1: there's definitely some scenes that Rose wasn't present for and couldn't possibly know about. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Like, I even think that you could argue that Jack was in fact just seducing Rose to try to get to her money and Rose loved him so much that she didn't, can't believe it so her story has changed to fit that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to believe that. I like Jack. He seems nice mm-hmm. but I think you could definitely make that
0: argument if you wanted to and I like the movie has enough flexibility to allow for that. Mm-hmm. I think Jack is a really interesting character because very early on in the film I realized that jack is effectively just a manic pixie dream boy pretty much yeah and i think that's one of the reasons why so many people have latched on to the romance plot of this film and kind of don't really engage with the disaster part with the exception of like rose on the door and jack in the water and how sad that all is
1: which quick sidebar it's not the shape of the door it's the difficulty of keeping it stable in the water when you are also freezing and shivering to death like
0: there's also the fact that the weight and buoyancy force of said door
1: Mm -hmm, yeah is it theoretically possible for the most to start on the door yes is it likely no it is jack being like i want to make sure that the person i love lives Mm which i can get into that Speaking of the person he loves living, even though I have seen this movie plenty of times, I still was like, is Rose going to make it? Will she get to that whistling time? Will she make the decision to survive even though like she's been through all this stuff? The movie like pulled me back in somehow. It was great. Mm-hmm. The Titanic tried to drag me down, which I think is a masterful part of tension if you can feel tense about a scene
0: you've seen over and over. Mm-hmm. There's so much of this movie that is incredibly compelling. It does have some bits that feel slow, and you know you kind of like lose interest in. But there's always something that pulls you back. Mm-hmm. There, there is a reason that this is one of the highest grossing films of all time. It is masterful.
1: Mm-hmm. I think a big part of that masterfulness comes from James Cameron being very meticulous with a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of little fiddly bits where you can tell he's really done his homework and trying to really show how it all works like i like how a lot of the scenes during the disaster portion are showing how micromanaging the plot is with who knows what at what time mm. things that we didn't really have to get into all the subtleties of like, which character is telling who about how real a danger is uh, mm. but it's still fun to watch and it makes the disaster feel more tragically like, we've all been in that scenario where we're part of an organization that is having trouble figuring out how to handle a situation and is making wrong choices.
0: Mm. I think another reason that it all works is that there's a lot of time and effort put into the mechanical nature of this ship. Mm, yeah. All of it feels like large and looming and all of these pieces of the ship are interconnected and it. You have this massive ship, and it's not easy to do anything quickly because of how big it is. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, disasters often require quick response. Mm
1: -hmm. There's a very good shot where you see a few people working the boilers while these giant pistons, like three or four times the size of them, are going vroom, vroom, vroom. And it makes you just impressed by the sheer scale of the thing. It doesn't feel like that should exist. Like It feels like that is a sci-fi component as opposed to a thing that was historically accurate but Mm -hmm. i assume based on james cameron being like super like oh we will make it very real
0: that that was actually how big they were
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it feels odd they were able to have like machinery and all that like over a hundred years ago at this point of course like the industrial revolution was in its height at the time so of course they they had it but just like being able to see it all like in motion at human scale is a completely different thing
1: Mm -hmm. it's also interesting to think about that all happening all the time even during these scenes that feel like they should just be happening in like an english tea room or Mm -hmm. like like a high society club Mm -hmm. but all that is going on underneath the surface which is a metaphor Mm -hmm. i will say i think that some of the ending bits that weren't working for me were the musicians. Like, I, I know the whole, like, the musicians playing even at the Titanic sank was a whole thing. But that could have been just, like, a single scene or maybe two scenes as opposed to, like, three or four.
0: Yeah, we, we kind of get, like, little interstitial bits with them. And, like, I get wanting to keep it because it, there's the, the cultural significance of Nero fiddling as Rome burned. And there's kind of a parallel here with that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we probably get a little bit too much of the musicians. I also think that towards the end of the film we get a little bit too gruesome and macabre Hmm. with showing just how many dead bodies there are and some of the people falling off the ship and how like we hear their bodies clang against the metal parts of the ship. Mm -hmm. There's that one bit where
1: Fabricio is like just trying to get away and then suddenly a a smokestack falls on him and it's Funnier than I think it was supposed to be.
0: Yeah, like, there are parts like that where, like, the tone feels off. Like, I don't think they were always really able to nail the seriousness of it. Sometimes it felt, like, overwrought, and sometimes it felt entirely too silly. And I think that's one of the problems with their transition from this romance story in the first half to the disaster in the second is that trying to find the right tone for individual scenes is not always easy
1: Mm -hmm. i think part of it comes from the slowness too i think if you have an action narrative you want it to be more high energy and the film doesn't always know when to
0: just like get in and get out with a thing happening Mm -hmm. i definitely think that timing was a a place where the film could be improved just overall Mm -hmm. which is interesting considering how big of a focus that time and clocks play in the film yeah (laughs) to mix metaphors a little bit i think james cameron might have just been painting a little bit too close to the cameras and didn't take a step back.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I can also imagine that this is probably very costly to shoot. There's probably a lot of things that you really only get one of. Mm-hmm. Um, so there might be
0: things where like, oh, this is the take we have, yep. so we're going to use it, which Should I get. Mm. Speaking about fumbling with timing, let's go ahead and talk about the other film that we're discussing this week, 2018's Adrift. Mm-hmm. Rather than structure... This summary and the way the film does, I'm going to summarize in chronological order. Just making you aware of that. In 1983, Tammy Oldham arrives in Tahiti after finishing her contract as a cook aboard a schooner. Uh, She finds new work at the marina, where she meets Richard Sharp as he sails his boat in port. The two quickly become romantically involved and share a passion for sailing and adventure. After a few months together, they make plans to sail to Japan. However, their plans shift when Richard is offered a job to sail a friend's yacht, the Hazana, to San Diego, California, from Tahiti. And he accepts, provided Tammy can join him. There's some hurt feelings at first, but they accept the job and set sail. Along the way, Richard proposes, and Tammy accepts. While sailing, they hear news of Hurricane Raymond. They decide to continue to California, but shift course north to attempt to avoid the storm. Unfortunately, they still end up within the hurricane and try to radio for help, but there's no response. They lower the sails to prevent the boat from flipping, and Richard tells Tammy to get below deck. After arguing, she does, and soon after, the ship hits some rough waves, and is flipped multiple times. Richard is flung overboard. Tammy wakes up after the storm has passed, and the ship is severely damaged, and she can't find Richard anywhere. She attempts to send a distress call, but all the electronics are too water-damaged. She later spots a dinghy off in the distance and sees Richard clinging to it. Tammy attempts to sail to him, but is unable, and falls off the ship and nearly drowns. She then makes a few repairs to the Hazana, and jury rigs a sail and is able to rescue Richard, whose shin is shattered and has multiple broken ribs. While searching for supplies to help him, she also realizes she has a head injury and stitches it with a needle and thread for sail repair. Tammy gets their bearings and realizes they're thousands of miles from the last reported location, making timely rescue unlikely. They decide to set course for Hawaii rather than California as the wind and current are more favorable, even if it's a smaller target and 500 miles further away. Tammy eventually realizes that Richard is a hallucination, and she's been alone since the storm. And after 41 days at sea, Tammy encounters a research vessel and is rescued. She returns to Tahiti and lays all she has left of Richard, her engagement ring, to rest in the ocean.
1: And the film tells it in a very achronological order, where we start with the morning after the
0: hurricane and then we're cutting back to the rest of the narrative that was before that. If you split the narrative into everything before the hurricane and everything after the hurricane, it kind of staggers the two halves and tells them both chronologically but switching back and forth.
1: I'd actually really love to see an edit of a Titanic that does the same thing where we like start with the iceberg and then like cut back to how Jack got onto the boat. I don't know if it'd be good. I think it'd
0: be interesting. I could see it being interesting, but I definitely don't think it would be good because I don't think it's good here. I'm totally fine with- <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. I am totally fine with a chronological storytelling. I just think that this is not structured well. I think that if like maybe the first half was a chronological and we kept going back to before the hurricane and then the last half to maybe last third was all just this is Tammy on the ship going through all the stuff she needs to do. I think that would have worked better, but I think the film is jumping around too much and I don't think that some scenes get the weight that they deserve.
1: Mm -hmm. I also don't know that we needed all of the flashback scenes Sure, them falling in love, pleasant, some of the scenes are okay, the acting is fine, Mm -hmm. but the hurricane we don't really see until quite late into the movie, and at that point we already know what has happened and what will happen after it, so it's just like a CGI budget that didn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. It's fine, it looks decent, but it's not narratively interesting, I don't think we learn anything new in those scenes.
0: No, not really. We, the audience, see like Richard getting knocked off of the boat and like, his safety harness being severed and him, like, sinking. And then after we come back to, I guess, present Tammy, question mark, Mm -hmm. uh, that's when she realizes, oh, Richard has just been in hallucination this entire time. Mm -hmm. But
1: also, a person sinking into the water, their safety harness being cut, I do not immediately at that second associate with they are dead. I could see a theory of them, like, managing to make it back to the surface and managing to somehow stay with the dinghy unlikely but possible especially if they like got out of the hurricane long after
0: yeah and the film attempts to foreshadow this early on like when tammy and richard first meet he's talking about his uh sales alone at sea and how and after a few days there's hallucinations i'm assuming not the fun kind Mm -mm. i wish Uh, Tammy hallucinates a tanker ship going past them and trying to fire a flare at it to get their attention.
1: Literally at the ship instead of up into the air where you fire a flare.
0: Yeah. I don't think it foreshadows it enough and the reveal just doesn't hold a lot of weight. I honestly think it would have been more interesting for him to just knowingly be a hallucination for most of the film and Tammy just keeping him around because she she doesn't feel like she can do this alone. Mm
1: -hmm. Or for us to know he's a hallucination, but for Tammy to not know it, Mm -hmm. have that, like, tragic thing happening. This is getting into, like, a kind of fix-it thing, which isn't really what the podcast is about, but eh, whatever, it's our podcast, I can say it if I want to. Mm -hmm. What I would have done is let us spend the first act or so with not being aware that he's a hallucination and find out, let that be, like, the act one pivot, and then Mm -hmm. have all these flashbacks that we don't really need be part of the hallucination thing. So suddenly, like, the conversation with Richard's parents is happening on the boat, like while she's adrift or she goes down into the cabin and in this cabin is this whole restaurant where they had a thing get very like trippy and psychedelic with it. I think it could be really fun, it could be really interesting and it could play into the hallucination
0: thing and give a reason for the flashbacks beyond
1: we didn't know how to edit it.
0: Yeah, I also think that doing something like that would have set this film apart as being more unique. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen a lot of films that are... You know, like this, you know, lone person trying to survive. And this doesn't do a whole lot to set itself apart in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, there's some weirdness for changing things up because this is based off of a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh,
1: Red Sky in Mourning A True Story of Love, Lost, and Survival at Sea by, by Tammy Oldham. So please understand that a lot of what we're talking about is the film, not the real lived person with the real lived experiences and the real lived, all that jazz. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm sorry this happened. This is a tragedy. Like, I think that part of it is that while it is a big tragic story, the romance portion isn't all that interesting and the survival portion isn't presented as all that interesting either. Like, they're both fine, but neither are enough to, like, really fill a story. So I feel like they need to, they were trying to find some way to bridge the two and then want us to have, like, a first act or first act and a half of this not very interesting romance with these characters who are fine but don't really have that much... Drama. There's not really, not really enough compelling things happening there to make me like, mm-hmm. sit through all of that in yeah. the way that Titanic is.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the chemistry between the actors is just, it's not there for most of the romance plot.
1: Sam Claflin is a paper man. Yeah. I mean, a man of paper, not a man who delivers papers.
0: <laughs> Which is odd, because, like, we've seen him be really good in things. He was Finnick in the Hunger Games films. Yeah. Do you want a sugar cube? I mean, it's supposed to be for the horses, but, I mean, who cares about them, right? They got years to eat sugar, whereas you and I, well, if we see something sweet, we better grab it.
1: Admittedly, haven't seen those in a hot minute. I don't know how much of me thinking he's a great actor is me thinking that he's very important for the plot. But <laughs> <laughs> but I know he can act. He's, all his lines feel very, like, flat and generic. He reminds me of a Disney prince, but not an important one, from an episode of uh, Once Upon a Time. <laughs>
0: I've Never seen Once Upon a Time, but like when you say Disney Prince, like yeah, it reminds me of a lot of the like early Disney princes who were just like this cardboard cutout.
1: Mm-hmm. You could argue that much like in Titanic, he's meant to be because this is her memory of this man as
0: opposed to a real person, but eh, I don't quite buy it. She was engaged to him, like, and really cared about him. I would feel like she had more vibrant memories of this guy.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's also a, like, we don't want to dishonor the memory of someone who was dead. I can see that making people cautious with the writing, but it winds up giving us a not very interesting character, which is also very good to his memory. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he was actually interesting in real life. Yeah. One thing I thought was really interesting, actually, though, was that... Tammy very much didn't want to go to California. That means going back home, back to a place full of bad memories. And you can see that her decision to try for Hawaii as to California when they're trying to figure out where to sail to after the hurricane is partially motivated by that. I think that was a really interesting narrative thing. I was compelled by this mm. woman who's so afraid of her past that she would rather try to like thread the needle that is hitting Hawaii in a schooner when you have very little navigational skills or equipment. As opposed to an entire continent. That was really like good and cool and didn't really go anywhere.
0: Honestly, if we wanted some more flashbacks, some flashbacks to her home life and like what exactly she's trying to avoid by not going home mm-hmm. would have been interesting. I think it would have given Tammy much more depth as a character.
1: A lot of the flashbacks are a straight chronology. like The things are happening in order and I think that if they were more relevant to whatever Tammy's experiencing at the moment that would have been stronger like maybe halfway through the scene of her not being able to fish for food we flash back to the the reason that she's such a staunch vegetarian or when she's trying to figure out how to like fix the sail up so that she can get out to where she thinks Richard is a scene of her learning how to fix a sail as part of her just my job is building boats to get away from California like that would have worked really well but yeah
0: I haven't had a lot of good to say about this film, but there is some things that I really like. I really like their color balancing. The color palette is pretty cool, which like makes sense for you know disaster film uh, on the water. But early on the film, we still get these vibrant colors of Tahiti, and during the budding romance between Richard and Tammy. But there's not this huge drastic color grade shift after the storm. Like, it all feels contiguous. This all takes place in the same world. And it that color grade shift doesn't, like, draw you out. And, like, oh, this is media, not, like, reality. Yeah, There's a color grade shift in Titanic, but it's much more artistic.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't dislike looking at the movie. It's fine.
0: Yeah, also the location scouting is fantastic.
1: Especially there's a scene where Tammy and Richard are... Like on a second, maybe third date, and uh, they they're going swimming, and Tammy is more of a wild child so she just jumps right into this ravine of water and holds her breath and sits underwater meditating, so that Richard will think she's drowned and freak out. It was really <laughs> funny. It made me laugh. It was a good, like that felt real. I believe this relationship between these two people who both have these very like vibrant personalities in that scene. Yeah,
0: if we had gotten more of that for the romance, I I would have been much more into it. But we get like that scene, and that's. Like, there's even an argument after Richard initially gets offered the job. And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it as long as I can take Tammy along. And then Tammy's really upset because she doesn't want to go back to California. And like, we had plans to go to Japan. What are you doing? And he just goes like, well, this is a great opportunity. And I you sailed half the world to find you. I'm not just letting that go. And it, it's just such a generic line, but that's what ends the argument.
1: Also, we have a scene, I think is the next flashback, where Richard talks about how the $10,000 they're getting for sailing will fund a year of them sailing around the world together. And she goes, together. Oh, a year? huh Who said anything about a year? And that's kind of when she realizes that he wants this to be a more long-term thing. Those two scenes should have been blended together so that her anger at what's happening and him talking about how he wants to spend like at least another year with her is what diffuses the argument and she realizes that, oh, I don't have to stay in California. I can stay with this guy. This is just a pit stop. Um, mm-hmm. That would have been a perfectly good pivot to change the dynamic of the scene and get that narrative in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe that conversation didn't actually happen in real life like that. So I guess realism, but honestly.
0: Don't let the get in the way of story. Yeah.
1: To praise of my words do. Richard gets pretty banged up. Well, sorry, hallucination Richard gets pretty banged up in the storm and his bruises and his spreading bruises as he's lying on the boat and Tammy tending him look really good. That is some excellent makeup for the... Just as gruesome as the bodies in the Titanic.
0: Yeah, like, it, it made my stomach turn a little bit. Like, oh, ooh. Yeah. I also really like some of the audio editing and sound design going on with the film. Like, there's this one scene where Tammy is trying to... Get this broken pole and turn into this makeshift mast and you can just hear the ship creaking as she is trying whatever she can to make repairs get things untangled and it's just ratcheting up this tension as she's attempting to fix things and go save Richard and it it works wonderfully and there's a few other scenes where there's this screeching of the boat at like during the hurricane scenes and it works incredibly well <laughs>
1: It's like in a horror movie when the monster's getting closer and closer and you, you can hear its breath. The same kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the boat doing things that we like, the sailing looks really fun. I've been sailing a few times. It is really nice. However, we live in Indiana, so not a lot of opportunities to just like get out on the open surf. But the movie managed to make me feel the way that sailing feels, which is not what the Titanic achieved. So, mm. yeah, Even though we have the whole like iconic... The king of the world! Adrift did a better job of like capturing that, that feeling of motion and excitement and tension.
0: Uh, like it's a little bit different with Titanic because it's a humongous steamship, whereas like sailing is a completely different thing.
1: Sure, but at the same time, I did not feel like the king of the world when. <laughs> Jack is standing next to the two people he has a clear a clear romantic connection with in this movie, and the Proud of the Titanic. Whereas I did feel like the king of the world when I was watching Richard and Tammy on mm-hmm. their very red and blue boat.
0: Mm-hmm. One last thing I will <laughs> praise Adrift for. There are often times where you have a female-led film, even, even a disaster film, they will specifically try and make this batter and bruise woman sexually appealing. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the film does not attempt to do that. And I do appreciate them showing restraint in that regard. Uh, There's still a lot of Tammy not wearing a bra, and I'm not entirely sure whether that's who Tammy is as a character or whether that's, well, we're men and we want to see your nipples poking through your shirt in the cold water.
1: Mm -hmm. No way of knowing, apart from possibly, I guess, reading the book, which I tried to do and it wasn't very compelling, so I stopped. I will say this is more real world stuff. Um, she went back to sailing after this,
0: uh, which is wild to me. I would have uh, moved to Indiana to get away from the water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, like she just continued sailing her entire life. I'm like, good for you. <laughs> yeah, like
1: legitimately, it's really cool that she like works through that trauma. Like, mm-hmm. heck yeah! Don't let bad things take things you love away from you. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. I don't, I don't have much else to say about it. I guess I have a note that was just, who was giving Richard a haircut. But, I mean, he's a hallucination. <laughs> and that explains why he constantly had perfect hair and perfect beard.
0: Perfect's a strong word. <laughs> well,
1: sorry, the same hair and the same beard that he started with, despite being, you know, on a boat. Yeah,
0: honestly, like, Richard looks kind of schlubby
1: looking. <laughs> You're not wrong. It seems like, intentionally schlubby? Like, the kind of person who, like, he wants to put off the air of, like, oh, I'm too- I am spend too much time sailing to, to you know, keep my hair manicured and all that jazz.
0: It's like those people who spend 30 minutes uh, on their hair to try and make it look like they just woke up.
1: I wonder about how, how how well this album will do because it will determine my sex life for, for the future. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think we're ready to probably move into our end segment.
1: Yeah. So we have a simple end segment this time around, which is the Ship of Theseus Award.
0: Which ship was the most intact by the end of
1: their respective film? That's honestly kind of a hard question because I think the Hansa was more of a functional boat at the end of the film, but there's more Titanic left now. There's still like chunks of scenery down there. There is more of the Titanic that's held together, but proportionally, I guess the Hansa more so.
0: The Hazana still floats and like was able to get Tammy to rescued after a month and a half alone at sea. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the, the Titanic. That entire thing pretty much sank, and it stayed sunk for quite a long time. Yeah, I definitely think I have to give this one to the Hazana. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the better built ship of the two, I guess.
0: <laughs> Although it's not Richard's ship, which he built by himself, mm-hmm. but like he built his own ship. That was cool, and like I respect that. Yeah, like I respect that, and I kind of wish that we spent more time with his ship because I think it's more emotionally significant than this one that like yeah this is this rich couple that's paying us to do this for them Mm -hmm. but i get it like that's not how the the story goes
1: Mm -hmm. but we should have spent more time on that boat before before i got disaster movie
0: yeah or even if we had a little bit more of an epilogue with like tammy on that said ship
1: i will also say that the ships don't look all that different i think there could be more to differentiate them visually because there was I was now years old when I found out that that was not the boat that he built. Um, I lost track of which boat they were on, so yeah. Fair enough. I mean, again, possibly true to life, possibly there's like a style of boat and that's just how it was, but Mm. you could have had one that was like much more green or had different decor or was like black and haunted and the sails were like in the wind. So the Hazana wins the Ship of Thesis award, but the Titanic will make it into, into its next port. Mm -hmm. Unusually, given the Titanic's history So what's up next week?
0: Uh, Coming up next week, we have Battleship Based off of the Milton Bradley board game Doesn't that have aliens? Yes Gods, okay (laughs) And we also have The Hunt for Red October Does that one have aliens? It has an alien accent of Sean Connery's (laughs) Scottish accent attempting to sound Russian
1: Also, let's be honest, every third episode of Star Trek was just the Hunt for Red October
0: in space. So, yes. So if you want to be notified as soon as that goes live, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever you catch your pods.
1: This has been the Gratuitous Podsing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.